Good morning. Welcome to Mount Horror Baptist Church uh, Sunday service. Title of my message today, in case you don't get the email of Mount Horror Baptist Church, is God Answers Prayer. And we're going to be continuing looking at Acts chapter 12 um, in this series of messages. Of course, last Sunday we talked about the... Um, the life of babies uh, and and the different things like that. And we talked about abortion and the sanctity of human life. And then this Sunday, we're going to continue with the series in Acts. And we'll be looking at Scripture, Acts chapter 12, verses 6 through 10 in the New King James Version. And next Sunday will be the first Sunday in February, and also the second Sunday in February, we'll be still looking at Acts chapter 12. And then we'll be going into the New Old Testament a little bit for two Sundays. So we thank you for being a part of this service with us. And, and as you listen online, we just pray that God's Word will touch your hearts as it does mine as I prepare this message. We have seen the might and the power of King Herod. We've seen the weakness of Peter and the infant church. The contest seems to be hopelessly unequal. What could such a small body of helpless people do against these arrogant powers that were set against them? On were swords and every implement of war. But prayer was made unto God for Peter, as in Acts 2, Verse 5, we know that Peter was therefore kept in prison, but the scripture says constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. So though the picture looks hopeless, it was not really so. Why? Because God was there. Here we find a great change. The whole situation has become entirely different. Somehow or another, as we come across that word in Acts chapter 12, verse 6, the first word says, and. I feel that the atmosphere has changed. And when Herod was about to bring him out, there is a suspicion there that something is going to take place. At this point, God is an in, enters in and everything changes. Here we have looked at men and what they can and what they cannot do. Now we're going to see God in action. That is the way of summarizing the central message of the gospel. God is in action. That is what we are going to find in this, these verses that we will look at today. Perhaps the best way for us to consider this matter is for us to look at it in this way. We will put a general heading, God Answers Prayer. We left off before at the point where the infant church was praying to God in Acts 12, 5. Now we are going to see God answering prayer. So we might divide this general message, this headings, into two sections, how God answers prayer and when does God answer prayers. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 12, be reading verses 6 through 10. That's Acts chapter 12, verses 6 through 10, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version. And when Herod was about to bring him out, bring Peter out, that night, 
Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hand. Then the angel said unto him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. So he did. And he said unto him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that it was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they passed the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. Bless the reading and the hearing of God's holy word. Let us pray. Our Father God, again we come to you and ask for your Holy Spirit to lead and guide us as we look at the scripture. May it strengthen our hearts. May it strengthen our prayers. May it strengthen as we wait, Lord, sometimes for you to answer prayers. Lord, thank you for the scripture. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How does God answer prayers? Or how God answers prayers? What does this section of scripture tell us about how God answers prayer? First of all, God answers the prayer of this infinite church by giving the apostle Peter the blessing of sleep. You say, what? Are you, are you for real, pastor? The blessing of sleep. When Herod was no doubt awake, I'm sure he was pacing the floor at night. The same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. So let's stop at that point. If we asked the question as to how God answers prayers, we would no doubt say that prayer was answered when the light shined in the prison and the angels touched Peter and the gates of the prison were flung open. But there is something long before that. That night, Peter slept between the two soldiers. We will try to catch the full significance of that. It is such an important matter. Note some of the general points that are clearly indicated in this word. Every single word in, this, in these verses is of great importance. For instance, when Herod was about to bring him out in Acts twelve six, when was that? Obviously, it was at the end of the days of unleavened bread. In Acts twelve three, the second part of verse 3. Herod was anxious to please the people, but he could not do it during those days of unleavened bread. But now that period had come to an end, and Herod will take action. And Peter knew all about it. Peter knew about the days of unleavened bread, as did King Herod. There is not the slightest doubt that when Peter settled down to sleep, he thought it was to be his last night on earth. And the next morning, he knew it would happen, his death. King Herod would send his soldiers, and Peter would be put to death. But Peter is found soundly asleep. 
That's how God answers prayers, one way, by granting unto the apostle in prison who knew that he would be put to death the next morning the gift of sleep. This is but one illustration of the many promises that are to be found both in the Old and New Testament. In the Old Testament, for instance, Psalms 3 verse 5 says, I lay me down and sleep. I awake, for the Lord sustained me. Another one is in Psalms 4.8. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for the Lord only makes me dwell in safety. Another one is Psalms 127 verse 2. He giveth his beloved sleep. In the New Testament, in John 14.27, Jesus Christ says, My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. You remember how the Apostle Paul puts it in the fourth chapter of the epistle to the Philippians where he tells us to take our troubles to God in prayer and the result will be that the peace of God shall protect our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Look at the difference in this man Peter. You remember there was a time in his life when he was very much awake and afraid of death. And when in that hour of lying and cursing, he denied his Lord. But here he is face to face with his own death, chained between two soldiers. But God gave to his beloved sleep. This is a true, which is wondrously and amazingly true, in the entire history of the Christian church during times of persecution and trial. This is God's answer in prayer. God has promised that he will hearken to the prayer of his people. In spite of the work of the enemy, they sleep calmly and peacefully before their execution. God is true to his promise. He remembers his own. God gives to his people a composure and a calmness which the world at its very worst can never destroy. That is the first answer. Then we come to the second thing, the answer. We may summarize it by using the words in verse 7, a light shines in the prison. That is the second way in which God answers prayer. Come on, pastor, do you really believe that? I most certainly do. I would not stand in this pulpit proclaiming God's word if I didn't believe it. You see, with God, nothing is impossible. You see, the gospel is not a philosophy. It's not merely a man's ideas or man's endeavors to reach a certain goal. It is God coming down. At Christmas time, we talk about Emmanuel, which is God with us. Consider the light shining in the prison. Light always represents God. We read in the first verses of Genesis that God looked upon the darkness of the world and says, let there be light. The Bible says God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. 1 John 1, 5. God manifested himself as light in the burning bush that Moses saw. There was a light that Paul saw on the, on the road to Damascus and that light which suddenly shone forth. What does it all mean? It means the light as opposed to darkness of sin, evil, and iniquity. That is why I feel these words are so instructive and interesting. 
We have been looking at the persecution of the infant church and at the power of Herod. Herod. We have been looking at those evil forces that were ever opposing the church and her witness. It is nothing but passion and lust let loose. It is nothing but the kingdom of darkness. It's hell. And the opposite to all that is light. The holiness, the purity of God, and the whiteness of eternity. In the hour of affliction, we see the contrast between darkness and evil, and the light and the holiness of God. Here in this scripture, it also means something else. It means the light has opposed to the darkness of despair and hopelessness. There we see Peter in the cell, and a mere handful of people praying for him. All seems to be hopeless. The contest is so unequal. Nothing can be done. We describe that condition as being in the dark and not being able to see the light. There was darkness and despair and hopelessness. Suddenly into that the light shone. The light of God. The light of hope. The light which assures and encourages us. We realize that we are not left alone. In exactly the same way, the light denotes that, that which indicates the way out. There does not seem to be any way out for Peter. Then a light shines, and it reveals the way out. It suddenly casts its beams over the dark road, and, and we see a path. Light is that which shows us the way out of what seems to be impossible position. Light indicates the way that we must travel when we know not what to do. Let's look at it also in this way. The scripture says, a light shone in prison. Luke definitely was led to use these words. Used as they are in this dramatic form, they should fix the thing once and forever in our minds. A light shone in the prison. In other words, I come to my original statement. All things are possible with God. The picture utterly is hopeless. Peter asleep, chained between two soldiers, other soldiers standing outside the door, which is probably also barred and bolted. The great iron gate shuts up the whole prison from the outside of the city. Nothing can be done, so we think when we think only in human terms. But the whole glory of the gospel is that it tells us that God has come in, Emmanuel, that nothing is impossible with him. The whole message of this verse is just this, that it matters not what your situation may be, however in prison and chain you may be, if God's will, you'll deliver. Deliverance. It can be done, and it will be done. Talk as much as you like about the change and your guard of soldiers. Emphasize the strength of the bars and the bolts. Tell me all about the first war, the second war. Give me the weight of that massive iron gate which prevents your exit from your prison cell out into the city. Tell me all about the thick walls. Be as eloquent as you can about the difficulties. It matters not at all 
With God, all things are possible. And in spite of the seeming hopelessness of the present, Peter is brought forth. That is the second way in which God answers prayer. A light shone in the prison. Peter is awakened, and he follows the angel, and he is left outside the prison gate. The third answer to, to this question, how does God answer prayer, is that he does it in a way and in a manner that surpasses our every expectation and our highest hope. Look at verse 9 very closely. So when he went out and followed him, as Peter went out and followed the angel, he did not know that it was done by the angel, was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. The Apostle Paul thought he was having some kind of a marvelous vision. He did not believe it was a fact. We read, too, of the reaction of the church when Peter came to them, when Peter knocked and a lady named Rhonda came. Look at verses 13 through 15. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhonda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in, announced that Peter stood there before the gate. But they said unto her, You are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting it was so. So they said, It is his angel. You know, we have already seen what fine people they were. They had spent the entire night in praying. They were men and women of prayer. Yet when Peter knocked at the door, they could not believe that it was even Peter. They thought it was his angel. To them, the thing is impossible. How characteristic that is of God. How typical of God's method of answering prayer. If we only concentrate on the power of God, he is much more ready to give than we are to receive. Get a hold of that idea. Do not confine the possibilities of answerings to your prayers. Remind yourself that you are praying to God and that with him nothing is impossible. Prison cells and wards, change iron gates, they are nothing to the God who made the world, sustains everything by his power. He hearkens unto your plea. You can never ask him for too much. He is much more ready to give than we are to receive. That's how God answers prayer. He astonishes us. He overwhelms us by his generosity. There is no limit to his power to give. So the next thing is when God answers prayer. We find that answer at the beginning of verse 6. Beginning of verse 6 says, And when Herod was about to bring him out. Think about that. When does God answer prayer? God answers prayer sometimes at the very last moment. He could have delivered Peter long ago on any one of the days. I mean, he could have done that. He could have freed Peter and James both. But he deliberately leaves Peter in prison until the end of the days of unliving bread. He leaves it just until just an hour or so before Herod 
intended to send his servants to bring him out. Why does God do that? There are two reasons why he does that. Number one, God leaves it until the last moment in order to make the defeat of the enemy still more obvious and complete. I like this divine irony. I can almost hear her turning to his soldiers and saying, Okay, boys, tomorrow morning we will get a hold of this Peter. We will bring him out, make a display of him before the people, and we will put him to death. And we will show these Christians who this Christ of theirs is. I can vision it all. I can hear the jokes and the jeers that are made at spiritual things. Even today, we hear that. I can hear the proud boast of the enemies of the infant church. We can hear that today. God allows them to do all of that. Why? Because when they think they have produced the final end of the church, God delivers the prisoner and they are made a laughing stock before the people. God has always done that. There are numerous illustrations out in the scripture, and God still does it. My point is this. God will do it again. The Christian church has been passing through dark waters, even today. The enemy has been proud and arrogant all over the world and even in our own country with its materialism and rationalism. But as the Bible says, the Lord shall laugh at him, for he sees that his day is coming. Psalms 37, verse 13. The Lord is laughing, for he sees that his day is coming. The discomfort of the enemy will be made complete and obvious to the whole world. That's amazing. And the second reason why God leaves answering prayer until the last moment is because he tests our faith. God proves us. He leaves us in the place of tension to discover whether we are really trusting him. He does not deliver us at once. He does not answer our prayers of the church at once. He leaves it until the last moment in order that our faith may be tried. I know my brother, of course, he's passed away, but I used to go down there and visit him all the time. He lived in Florida, and there were those palm trees. And I would go down there and, and uh, say, for instance, that sometime during the summertime uh, that the hurricanes would come. And, of course, when I went down to see him, it was usually in the, uh, around Christmas time, and the palm trees were still there. The palm trees are created to take a lot of hurricane wind. They will be almost touching the ground, but will not break. You take an oak tree or a pine tree that we have around here, they will snap in two. But palm trees are created to take that hurricane wind. In the same way, God tests us in order that we may bend, but we will not break.
So we summarize all of this by word of exhortation. God's message is applicable to the church at large at the present time. It's equally applicable to any individual who may come across these scriptures. Are you beset roundabout by difficulties? Do you feel that you are in an impossible position, that nothing can ever be done to solve your problem or lighten your burden or give you happiness and joy? Are you downcast and depressed? God's message to you on the basis of the word of God is pray and take large petitions with you to God. And above all, in the name of Jesus Christ, hold on. In his own good time, which we cannot always understand, I don't, God will answer. He will act. Pray on, hold on, and you will never be disappointed. But there's one last thing about prayer. And this is what I believe and what I feel. I've always done that. But God, I think, answers prayer to those who have received Christ as Lord and Savior. And I say that the only prayer, if a person is not saved, the only prayer God will hear is a prayer of asking for forgiveness of our sins. Because when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives, and the Holy Spirit comes in. The Holy Spirit is a communicator. Goes to Christ and in Christ to God. And when the Holy Spirit comes in, then we can pray. And God will hear our prayers through Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. So a person's not saved. I don't, I don't know if God hears his prayers. I just I feel that way. But there's one other thing, too. When you pray and you've asked Christ to come into your heart and make him Lord and Savior of your life, when you do that, when you pray, you pray in Jesus' name. In other words, I always end my prayers in the name of Christ. Why? You know, several times when I did give my tithe, I usually write a check. And a couple of times I've written a check but forgot to sign my name. And the treasurer will come up at the end of the service and uh, kind of sheepishly says, um, you mind signing this? I said, sure. And the reason he does that is because that check is no good unless you've got your signature on it. And it's the same way when you pray. You pray in Jesus' name. That's the signature. That's what God sees through his son Christ that died on the cross for our sins. I pray that if you never receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you make that decision. You can make it online. You can shoot me an email 
and at the comments of the message, put your email in and I'll get back to you. And you can ask Christ to come into your heart right now. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you. Thank you, Lord. Praise your name for who you are. And Lord, we thank you for the scripture that is given to us. That you gave to Luke as he wrote in Acts. As he told us about Peter. And Lord, we thank you that you answer prayers. It may be not exactly what we want right away. And the reason is because you can see around the next curve that we can't see. And you know what's good for us and what's not. And that's why sometimes you don't answer our prayers. But Lord, I pray for those who are going through a real tough time now that you will be with them. Be with our nation. Thank you for our blessings that you have given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.